I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. I say insurance, you say... Okay, maybe you don't say anything. Insurance probably isn't the first thing you think about when reflecting on the film industry, am I right? But in the wise words of Mike Groner, Vice President of Front Row Insurance, you can't make a show without it. Mike grew up in Los Angeles, California, and began his insurance career in 2003. He worked alongside entertainment business managers and provided insurance to touring musicians, various productions, and the Hollywood elite. He then moved north to Hollywood North, Vancouver, British Columbia, in 2011, where he joined Front Row Insurance. There, he continues to specialize in insurance and risk management for film and television productions, equipment operators, video game producers, and rental houses. Front Row Insurance brokers have offices across North America, and they cover all sizes of productions, from $2,000 to $200 million. Mike and I discuss the differences between U.S. and Canadian productions in regards to insurance needs, how to minimize production hazards and transfer risk, and what it was like for him to leave sunny Los Angeles for rainy Vancouver. Here he is. Hello, Mike. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to Vantropolis on this very cold and freezing Vancouver day. That it is. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, good motivation to stay inside and talk, I guess. Absolutely. Nothing better to keep me at my desk. (laughs) So, you know, just to kick it off, you are the vice president of Front Row Insurance Brokers. And we will get into all of the things that that includes in terms of service offerings in your role. But when I was prepping for this episode, the first thing I thought of is like, insurance. You know, it doesn't jump out as a riveting aspect of film. But I think it's vital to running a production. And obviously, a lot of people don't know how it works. And not just for large productions, but also for like indie projects in Vancouver. So I think, you know, we're going we're gonna to tackle it. And I think people are going to find a lot of interesting stuff that comes out of it today. I hope so. So you um, are the vice president of Front Row Insurance Brokers. And Front Row, just for people that don't know, why don't you just give them a quick rundown of what it is? Uh, Sure. So we are an entertainment brokerage. We are primarily based in Canada. We have three offices in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and then we have an office in New York, Los Angeles, Colorado, and Florida as well. So we're on both sides of the border, and we have a staff of 62 or 63 now, and we do 100% entertainment. And of that, probably 80% is for the film industry. And then we also do some live theater touring and other entertainment-related risk. But we don't do every and all things insurance. You're not going to come to us for you know your auto plan or your homeowners. We do just entertainment and mostly film. And just to be clear, you are brokers, right? So that's different. You're you're negotiating a solution for clients from insurance company from insurance companies. Is that correct? That's correct. So we do not work for the insurance company. We work for the production company, the producers. Right. Okay. So we work on their behalf to get them, you know, the best possible insurance coverage at the best price. And, you know, we work for them all the way through. Yeah. So I think that's a good distinction, right? You're, you're a broker on, like a mortgage broker would be. You're like representing the productions versus the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we, we, we really do become part of the crew. I mean, we're interacting with the producers and the filmmakers and the location managers on a daily basis from, you know, three or four weeks during prep all the way through the delivery to their broadcasters. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're very much playing a role as one of the crew members. Right, yeah. And, and all sizes of production, right? Like I saw on your website, it's like 2000 to $200 million. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, we do everything from, you know, a student film shooting with zero budget for, you know, two days on a weekend to, you know, $150 million large scale TV series. So everything in between. 
Yeah, which I think is good to know because if you're like an indie filmmaker and you don't know where to start, often a place like Front Row, you'd think it would like not even want to give you the time of day, right? It's just this big corporate entity. Um, and you wouldn't, you know, necessarily know how to insure yourself or where to even start. Yeah. So, I mean, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for, you know, a, a new filmmaker to obtain insurance. Usually, they don't even consider the need for insurance until they're walking up to an equipment vendor and the vendor says, where's your insurance? We're not giving you the camera without your insurance. Right. And so for that purpose, we've created automated solutions where a filmmaker can go online and basically purchase insurance on their cell phone, standing at the desk of a vendor, hand over the certificate and walk out with a piece of equipment. And we all know like, today's independent filmmakers, maybe tomorrow's director, right? And a bigger production. So hopefully they move up the ranks. That's that's the dream. That's the dream, exactly. It's like a bank, right? You start young, you start in there young, and they get you for life. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's going to happen here. So how did you find yourself into this whole industry? Like, I'm so curious where you grew up and how you kind of started. I would love to hear that journey from your point of view. Yeah, I mean, unlike most people who you know, dream about playing basketball in the NBA, being a rock star, a famous, you know, actor, actress. My dream has always been to be an insurance broker. Are you serious? No, I am not. Um, <laughs> I was like, so, wow, this is taking a turn and I don't know yeah. where it's going. No, so I, I, I'm originally from Los Angeles. I grew up there, went to university there, and I spent the first 10 years of my insurance career there as well. I started an insurance right out of university. And, you know, like most people in insurance, I got into it by accident. It was, you know, the, the first opportunity that came my way that would allow me to move out of my parents' house. So what did you, sorry, just to back it up, what did you take in university and where'd you go? I went to California State University, Northridge. Um, it's in a suburb of Los Angeles. And I studied business management and outdoor recreation. And what were you thinking you wanted to do? I wanted to be a rock star. No, I um, <laughs> I really didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to follow my father's footsteps and go to law school or yeah. if I was going to run a summer camp. I, I really had no idea. Yeah, that screams summer camp to me for sure. Yeah, so it just, you know, the opportunity came my way. I had a brother-in-law working at an insurance firm. They were looking for, you know, young fresh out of university people, and they happen to be starting an entertainment division. So I said, okay, that sounds interesting. I don't know anything about insurance. I yeah. love the entertainment industry, but I don't know how insurance relates to it. But Yeah. Well, they just add the word entertainment in front of it, and then you get excited. They do it with law, too. Entertainment law. You're like, oh, wow, this is going to be so different from other law. <laughs> It could have been really anything because at that point in time, I, I didn't want to go to school anymore. And I yeah. really just wanted to move out and have a little bit of post-university independence. I, I didn't really care. Yeah, exactly. Fortunately, you know, 20 years later, I you know, can honestly say I got really lucky and I found a career I, I really love. Well, and you know what? I don't know many people that are like, and you tell me, like born and raised Los Angeles. Like there are a lot of transplants, much like Vancouver. Yeah. Um, you know, that someone that's born and raised there. Yeah. I mean, you would have thought I would do the opposite. Raised in Vancouver, moved to LA. But um, yes, I have sort of a unique trajectory in the industry and uh, it brought me up north. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to have a million questions about that little uh, detour also or mm -hmm. redirect on, you know, coming up versus going down. But so when you started doing, you know, in entertainment insurance in L.A., like, what was that like? Because you obviously didn't know much about it, right? That's correct. Yeah. So it was a large insurance firm. I think there were, you know, close to 300 people in the firm. And then they had this small entertainment division of about 20 or so people. Um, and it wasn't TV and film per se. It was an all things that fall within the umbrella of what you would consider to be entertainment. Yeah. So for the first three or four years or so of my career, I basically got a crash course in all elements of the entertainment world. We were working with a lot of business managers. We were doing concert tours. I got to work on a couple of Blink-182 tours, Ringo Starr, lots of, lots of big comedy tours. Did you get to go? Did you get tickets? Did you get to show up in a suit? 
And they're like, that's the insurance guy over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, were, there were certainly some perks. There's the insurance guy over in the corner. Don't do anything dangerous. Yeah. That's exactly who Ringo Starr wants to meet, his insurance guy. Yeah. The stern dad look, right, in the corner yep. with a water. I, I know. I'm, I'm there judging them the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you dare throw that T-shirt off the stage. Well, did that department feel kind of like a trailblazing department within the bigger firm? Uh, for a long time, it was sort of the, you know, the the evil stepmother of the firm. I mean, we were a, a, a bit of prima donnas where the rest of the insurance was, you know, a little stuffy. Right. You know, we were we were getting to do the fun stuff. We were, you know, working on the cool accounts. Mm-hmm. So everyone wanted to sort of look over our shoulder at what we were we were doing. And it was very confidential, the stuff we were working on. So we had our own wing and... You know, we didn't like the other side coming over to our little world there. Full turf war within the firm. It, it, it did feel like that at times. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I love this. This is such good intel about something that would seem like such a sleeper. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it was really, again, a real crash course in all things entertainment. I mean, just being able to work with the business managers, you would be dealing with any celebrity's little side hustle. Yeah. You know, you had the, you know, the guys at Blink-182 had a clothing line. Um, you know, certain celebrities had fleets of classic cars that you had to insure. So it was really kind of fun and interesting. There's nothing redundant about that part of the job. Well, and so many people say that about film in general and the entertainment industry, right? It's ever-changing. Even when you think you've done it before, it's never the same, right? It's some some other little piece that comes in that makes it different, which is really, I think a lot of people get addicted to it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things Vancouver's really known for is, you know, sort of the Christmas movie of the week factory. Ah, yes. And, you know, uh, you, know you, you take a step back and you think, okay, every one of those is exactly the same. You know, you see the same actors, you see the same locations, but... Um, yeah, each one's its own little animal. I feel like I could do an episode just on the snow mishaps on those shows. Absolutely. <laughs> the fake snow and the... I mean, they all have that... Yeah, I mean, from a script standpoint, they all have a similar arc. Yes. But each one, from an insurance standpoint, will have a slightly different element that needs to be dealt with on a unique basis. So it is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all, you know... Here's your policy, take it and run. No. You know, we still treat that like any other feature film, TV series, you know, on a case by case. I feel like you can scan those now, like, and just see the stuff jump out, right? (laughs) I I, I don't have to really read the scripts in fine detail anymore. I can can get through one of those in, in 10 minutes where, you know, a normal feature film script will take me a good hour to get through. Yeah. And we, we, we do have to read all of the scripts to identify where, you know, there's stunts, pyro, mm-hmm. car action, actor action. You know, we, we do rely on the clients, the production companies to identify that for us and tell us when and what they're going to be doing stunt-wise. Right. But, um, you know, we may find something that we consider hazardous that they may not think about. And if it's not disclosed, then there could potentially be you know, an exclusion on that policy. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too, like I know, you know, when I've, I look into film and stuff, like there's a lot of perception of risk, right? Like many people say film isn't really that risky in comparison to like fishing and forestry and some of those high risk jobs. But I think in terms of like world perception, it's seen as kind of a crazy biz, right? So I'm curious if you're often that advocate with insurers, you know, in terms of minimizing, and not I don't mean because it's dangerous, but actually communicating what kind of industry it really is and what the actual risk is. All of the insurance companies we work with that do insurance for film are, are pretty well versed in all things film. So, you know, they know, the, they know the language, they have a risk management department that will review the stunt activity, they'll if they need to, they'll get on the phone with the stunt coordinator and they'll speak their language to decide, you know, what's safe, what's not, how you need to change things to get it insured. Right. You know, so people are professional at every single level and step to get these things approved and done. So 
just going, sorry, going back to when you were in LA, I'm just so curious because we're already talking about now, but like, how did you get up here? What, what, what spurred that on for you to move? And I'm assuming you made a full move. I, I, I certainly did. So it was sort of a, a two-part process. So while I was working at that first firm, doing every and all things entertainment, I got the opportunity to work on an account that was, uh, do you remember Jesse James and West Coast Choppers? Yes, I sure do. Yeah, so that was a real big thing at the time. And we insured the whole Jesse James West Coast Chopper empire. So it wasn't just the motorcycle company, but they also at the time had three very popular TV shows that they were doing for the Discovery Channel. So that was my first real exposure in actually insuring a film project. And I really, truly fell in love. It was way more exciting than anything else I had insured. Mm-hmm. You know, I was part of the process. Every time they were going to light something on fire or blow up a car, you know, I had to be right there collecting all the information, conveying it to the insurance company, going back to them, asking more information. And I really liked that entire process. So after about five years at that first firm, I moved on to a smaller boutique firm also in Los Angeles that did nothing but film insurance. It was actually the oldest film insurance brokerage in America, a company called Truman Van Dyke Company. And they were literally in the backyard of Warner Brothers, a stone throw from Universal. So it was very exciting to be in that part of the world. Yeah. Are they still around? Uh, they are not. Or if they are, they're, they're much smaller now and okay. they're not really doing what they used to do. But, but at, at the time, you know, this was 15 years ago, it was a really exciting job because, you know, mm-hmm. as stuffy as insurance can be. And, you know, it sounds glamorous that you're in film insurance, but at the same time, I'm still sitting behind a computer every day. But to be able to look out my window and see, you know, the Warner Brothers Tower or see the, you know, the big escalators at Universal Studios, it was really neat. Yeah, that's and pretty And you really cool. felt like you were part of the film world being there. Yeah. What about the stress? What about the stress? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it never goes away. <laughs> but it, right? Like, these are high stakes, some of these things. You're the intermediary, you know? You must have been sweating. Yeah, Absolutely. But, but nothing more stressful than the last uh, two and a half years. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's true. We'll get to that. That's and, true. And we, can, we can get to that, yeah. Oh, but, man. Um, Do we have to? I know. It, it's, it, you know, yeah. The C word. Right. The new C word. So, so okay, so back to the Jesse James stuff. So you're, yeah. you're working on this. So now I've joined this smaller boutique firm, and I'm doing 100% film, which I loved. It was TV, commercials, documentaries, all things film all day. Loved it. Awesome. But it was a small firm. And at the time, we were doing a lot of projects where our clients were coming up to Canada. You know, it was at a time where the dollar was slightly low, not near where it is right now, but it was low enough where U.S. productions were starting to go to Toronto or Vancouver to to do a feature film. So every time we had to do a film where our client was shooting in Toronto or Vancouver, I'd have to coordinate with a local Canadian broker. Right. And so I, you know, I forged a relationship with a Canadian broker. And then after, you know, a handful of years, I, I knew I wanted to move on from the small boutique broker and, you know, start to do some bigger films. And um, I was having a conversation with a Canadian broker and they said, you know, if you're going to be on the market, we would love for you to come up to Canada and, and, and work with us. Wow, there it is. And, you know, for me at the time, I had never lived anywhere outside of Los Angeles. I didn't own a home. I wasn't married yet. I thought if there's ever a time in my life where I would try living somewhere else or just to have the experience, I, now's the chance. Good for you. Those moments come up for everyone, I feel like, right? And there's a bit of a crossroads. You know it. And 12 years later, I'm still here and uh, I, I think I'm a lifer. Really? Okay, be honest with me. Did you know that Vancouver was a two-hour direct flight from Los Angeles before you got here? I absolutely did. 
Because <laughs> I feel like sometimes you go to LA and people are like, wow, you came from Vancouver? And you're just like, please, it's two hours, direct. Yeah. No, it, it was, uh, you know, one of the things that made it seem like an easier adjustment for me. Right. Because I knew I could hop on a plane and, you know, a few hours be back home with friends and family. So Same time zone. Exactly. Exactly. And part of the deal of me coming up to Vancouver was that I would be able to maintain my U.S. license and continue to work in, with my U.S. production clients. Right. Yeah, that's a big thing too, right, is the, the whole cross-border stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not clean. And I know I've had actors on and it's the same thing, right? It, it gets a little sticky. Yep. Yep. And, and I'm one of the very few people, if not you know, under five in our entire film insurance industry, who is duly licensed on both sides of the border. So did you have to pass something? Like, what did you have to do to get licensed here? Similar to the U.S., it's an insurance exam and you're granted a license. So not not too different. Where did that go down? Was that, that happened in Vancouver? It did. Yep. There's um, an office in downtown where you go and you sit behind a computer in a little room and you take the exam and then there's a few levels to it. So, you know, every couple of years I have to continue the education and take a few other little exams and classes, but um, same thing in the U.S., so I have to maintain both licenses. Well, that's really good cross-pollination of information, though, I, I think, being able to straddle both both countries, right? It is, especially for the U.S. clients or the Canadian clients who do decide to shoot in a country that's not their own. Um, you know, there are a lot of differences in the insurance between the U.S. and Canada, and so to be able to facilitate that, um, it's definitely a unique expertise. And how so? Like, give me a couple examples of how it might be different that people wouldn't really think about. Probably the two biggest ones are auto liability. So you go and film in Canada, well, specifically Vancouver or anywhere in BC, every vehicle, whether you own it or rent it, has ICBC insurance. Where in the US, all insurance is private insurance companies. Right. So if you're going to film in the US you're going to have to buy what's called non-owned auto liability to cover all of the vehicles you're renting and using. Where in Canada or specifically BC, you don't, you cannot buy that because every vehicle that's plated has ICBC. And then the other part is the Canadian centralized, the Canadian centralized system. Exactly. (laughs) All kinds of things, Mike, BC ferries, you know, airlines, insurance, Well, that comes to the other part that's sort of unique, and that's workers' compensation, because it's all through WorkSafe BC, where in the U.S., it's, again, all privatized through independent insurance companies. I'm seeing a trend here. Yeah, but those are the only two real material differences. Everything else on the production insurance portions are the same, and they can both be written in either currency, depending on the currency or the needs of that particular budget and project. Right. Okay. Well, it was good to know. Yeah. I was just curious. So, yeah. so when you came up here, like, what did you do? Did you just come up alone? Like you, you obviously bit on the job offer and that was in Vancouver, right? Not Toronto. Correct. Correct. So in Vancouver. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I originally thought it would be three to five years and how I came up with that number, I don't know, but I thought it would be, you know, that would be my experience just because I was young and, you know, the trajectory of most insurance people is you work for a few years here, a few years there, and you kind of go up the ladder that way. Yeah. Um, I didn't know at the time that, you know, this would be my forever home and my forever company that I would work for. So you really never know. Well, it's not over yet, Mike. It's nope. not over. You could still be a rock star and this won't be your forever job. That's very true. I, I practice almost five minutes a day. So I'm, I'm, it, it probably will still happen for me. You could still get discovered up here. And then, sorry, Front Row, you are going to have to be an actor and you'll, you'll be a lead. Exactly. And someone else will have to find that insurance for you. Yes. Because that will be a conflict of interest. So what was your first, like, where did you live when you were up here? What did you think of the city too? Had you been here before? No. I, well, I, I, I came up when I was 10 years old to go on an Alaskan cruise. But the only thing I remembered from that trip was the Bouchard Gardens and um, <laughs> and rain and not liking being on a boat for a long time. Yeah, fair enough. When I moved to Vancouver, I, I was a, a initially just 
in a bit of a culture shock. What year was this, by the way? This was 2011. Okay, so just after the Olympics, too. It was, and it was actually December 1st, 2011. So when I came up, it was literally snowing. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a shocker. I didn't know it snowed in Vancouver. I knew it was cold, and I knew it rained a lot. It, well, I mean, looking out my window, I see nothing but white today. But Right, I know. So that was a bit of a shock. And then, you know, obviously I knew there was a different currency, but it, it really didn't hit home until I was there. And I had to open up my first bank account and actually start living as a Canadian, like on day one. Right. Yeah, I feel like Canadians know a little bit more about America. And I feel like it's like, as kids, you go to Disneyland. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how many Americans come up as much as Canadians went down. Because we were like the little brother. So you always wanted to explore America. And it's so big. And there's so many cities, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's no manual on how to move and, and live in a new country. No. Even though they speak your language. And, you know, you never really think about Canada necessarily as a different country because it is, again, so close. We speak the same language. We have very similar cultures. But yeah, I mean, it was creating the bank account. It was transferring my car and all, you know, doing the insurance through ICBC and all these things that like, I just had no idea I had to do. Your first introduction to ICBC, your first oh, introduction yes. Yes, indeed. to ICBC. It was going to be the beginning of a long friendship for you. So where did you live? And like, I get you hit the ground running, like just working right away. I would love to know like your first kind of job. I did. Yeah. So um, I moved into a little studio in Yale Town that I stayed in for the first two years I was here. And, and, I, and I loved it. Coming from LA, I, I had never been in a city where I had walkability. Right. Yes. So to be able to walk to the supermarket, to walk to the SkyTrain, I was able to walk to my office. What a huge difference. That's just like probably the number one difference with LA life and Vancouver life is just walkability. Oh, yeah. It, it got to the point where when I would go back home to LA by the third day, I would be so homesick to get back to Vancouver just because I was tired of getting in and out of the car yeah, and dealing with traffic. You know, on the weekends in Vancouver, I don't think I ever touched my car. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really, really loved that about Vancouver right away. Were you a nature guy? Not as much as I am now, thanks to my wife, but uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I was certainly a city guy. You got indoctrinated. Is she Canadian? She is. She's from uh, Quebec. Ah, French Canadian. There we go. Yeah. She sucked you in. Yeah. Love it. That'll do it, right? Another Canadian just to keep you here. Hence why I'm a lifer now. That's what we do. Yep. So, so what was your first gig? Like, what, what did you start working on? I'm curious. That would have been 2011, beginning of 2012, like all of the shows of that time and things that were happening here. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't really speak about the projects I, I work on because we're bound to secrecy. But um, you are, yes. You know, at the time, it was not necessarily the movie of the week factory that it is now. Right. So it, it was a lot of US productions coming up to Vancouver. Yes, which we still have. Which we certainly still have. Um, or it was Canadian companies going to the US or other parts of the world. That's primarily what I was working on and what I still work on today. The only difference is now there's a hundred TV movies on top of all of the other, you know, independent projects. Well, and a quick question on that. If someone, if a Canadian production is going to like South America, do you still manage that insurance process or is that something they have to do with people on the ground there? No, all the insurance you would want from US or Canada. Okay. And then the only insurance you would take out locally would be their local public liability. Okay. Or workers' compensation. Or, you know, something to protect you locally if someone sues you. Right. But as far as ensuring the production, the equipment, and the financial aspects of the production, you want to do all of that from the U.S. and Canada. Okay. Yeah, the coverage is just better. Good tip, because I, I wouldn't necessarily know that. Yeah, and there, there really are not, other than, you know, the U.K. and, you know, parts of Australia and maybe a couple other handful of countries, there really is not a 
film insurance industry. So you're not going to find the expertise or a lot of the necessary coverages that you would get from a U.S. insurance broker. Yeah, that's a good point too. You're right. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. So you're working up here. You're you're. And was this at Front Row, where you are now? It was. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So how's it changed? I mean, we don't have to get into the names of shows. I think everybody kind of knows what shoots here anyway. But and we can assume you cover most of it. But how it, how did things progress from kind of then until now? Like without talking about COVID yet, but just prior to that, you know. Did, did you see things change or evolve while you were here? I'm, I'm curious your take on that part. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, all for the better. I think, you know, the fact that, you know, you have a lot of these really good, strong production service companies that were able to prove themselves in the, you know, the TV movie of the week, factory, Christmas movie type industry has really set the stage for what Vancouver has become. Most people look at, you know, these cookie cutter movies and they don't look at the steps it takes to deliver one of these on time to get them finished within a certain budget and to deliver them with you know the type of quality that these production companies in Vancouver are able to do and that's really what I think has exploded the industry here and I, I think that it doesn't hurt the fact that the dollar is where it is right now because I think your three and a half million dollar USD budget goes pretty damn far in Vancouver now. Yes, I know. With top tier like service still, right? But just saving on the on every dollar. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're, you know, a Hallmark or one of these TV movie networks, and you need to get a slate of you know fifty Christmas movies every year, and you know that you know these three companies in Vancouver will get it done on budget, on time, and the quality is going to be the same each and every time. Why would you not use them for 90% of your projects. Yeah, exactly. And that's the bread and butter, right? It is. And now we have Netflix, Amazon, and you know all these other streaming services that are super hungry for content. So they're using the same production service model. So we're, Vancouver is able to prove itself again and again that they are able to produce and be a factory of these great productions you know, and get them done in budget and on time. And that's really all that these networks care about. And so, you know, I think every three years, the industry's been able to double itself, yeah, double the talent pool. And I think it's just really great for the economy and really great for, you know, showcasing Vancouver as, you know, a film powerhouse in the world. Well, and it's interesting too, because a lot of the supplier, like the supply chains within, or service suppliers, I should say, supporting film here, would would feel that first, right? Because you're literally seeing them come all come through the door to you. Whereas like if you're working in film, you might not notice that just on your own show, except word of mouth or whatever. But, you know, like rental houses, insurance, you're going to see how much is coming through the door and, and the the stream of it, whether it's going up or down, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we certainly saw the strain when, you know, they started to allow filming again after the stay-at-home orders and the, the COVID shutdown. Yeah. So Vancouver or BC was one of the first places that opened up for filmmakers again. I think it was in June or July of 2020. And immediately everyone who had all these other projects planned all, all over the world shifted to Vancouver. And you saw all of the you know, production services, the equipment rental houses, everyone was so strained on their talent and equipment. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. Yeah, it's tr- I know. I remember seeing stuff in the paper, even people that were planning to shoot in Georgia and stuff were just, they couldn't, be, they weren't safe enough also, right? Mm-hmm. There weren't enough safety checks and balances, and they didn't feel comfortable, um, like, starting a production during that time, right? Yep. And I know it was handled very well up here from everyone I've talked to. It was, but it certainly put a strain on the inventory of equipment and yes. strain on the locations because... You know, there's a finite number of studio space. Yeah, that's right. And a strain on your on your workload, Mike. A strain on your own workload. You know, you were probably enjoying a little time off. <laughs> I think everybody got a bit shocked when it shut down, but I don't know. I feel like people also had a forced rest, and film is known for being no rest, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I could say we, in the insurance world, got that same rest during the stay-at-home orders, but in, instead... Uh, I think we were hit with 45 claims on, on day one of 
of the stay-at-home orders. And are those claims like, again, you can stay confidential, but generally, what kind of claims are those? We didn't see a lot of claims coming from your cast and crew getting sick. Most of the claims that we received were under coverage in the entertainment package called civil authority, which in itself is not that unique of a coverage. It's included on most standard business insurance policies. However, the way that coverage reacts is slightly different in the film world. And pre-March of 2020, there was no exclusions under our entertainment package policies, specifically for the civil authority for communicable disease. I mean, believe me, by April 2020, every film policy had an absolute COVID communicable disease exclusion. But pre-2020, nothing like this had ever happened. So our policies, you know, at least any policy that was purchased prior to March 2020 had coverage for COVID. I mean, there were there's only a few ways the policy could be triggered, but the main one was this coverage called civil authority, which um, in a nutshell, gets triggered when a government entity or authority, so police, fire department, or any sort of government power, doesn't allow you to gain access to your location mm-hmm. as a result of something having nothing to do with the production. And you know they essentially revoke your permit or bar your access to a location. And so the stay-at-home orders where you couldn't gather what it was, 10, then 7, then 3 people you know, how are you going to film? Right. You know, you'll be breaking the law if you gathered, you know, your entire cast and crew. So that's what triggered all of these claims at that time. Right. And new territory, right? Like you're saying, like that, it's not only still working, but a brand new world of, 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 of like a landscape for you to navigate with film and insurance. Absolutely. Believe me, the fact that all of the insurance companies didn't have this exclusion means that, you know, it was the most unpredictable situation that all over the world, everything would be hit all at once. Yeah. You know, usually you feel pretty safeguarded. If there's a terrorist attack in New York, you're you're probably okay in LA. Yeah. But uh, under COVID, everything was attacked all at once, basically on the same day. Well, and on that that note, I know, I I mean, we haven't really talked just generally about types of insurance, you know, we've talked generally about over overarching, but I know like even in terms of cast insurance, right? I don't know if everybody knows that, mm-hmm. you know, there's production insurance and show insurance and all of the pieces that would involve that. But there's also, like I was reading, cast claims can be some of the biggest that a project can incur, right? Like one of the examples, and I think I might've found on one of your blogs online, but don't quote me on that, was like um, when Heath Ledger died, right, during the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus here in 2009, which would have been before you came here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that had to be recast with new actors and all of the fallout that happens from something like that. Yeah. And the insurance, uh, you know, fallout as well. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, that is still the largest cast claim in Canada for a Canadian film. Yeah. And I don't know how much it was, but I do know the largest in the U.S. was this, the Fast and Furious franchise, right? Which was $50 million, and that was Paul Walker when he passed away. So huge amount of money. Yeah. Like big losses, right, to do stuff like that. Yeah. So the, the cast insurance part of the production package is, without a doubt, your biggest exposure on any film. Yeah. I mean, you could just imagine the costs associated with, you know, replacing an actor midway mm-hmm. if they got injured or died. Or, you know, even an actor breaks a leg and you have to, you know, shut down for two days, you can just imagine how much costs are being bled from the production company for holding locations, equipment. You still have to carry your cast and your crew. Um, You know, those are hundreds of thousands of dollars a day in costs that are going to be spent whether you're able to film or not. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, I read a couple stories. One was about Seven with Brad Pitt. And I guess when he did a scene and fell and, like, hit, hit the car and actually hurt himself, they just kept him in a sling anyway. Like, they just, he got hurt on the show, but he also got hurt in real life. Yeah. And I feel like they worked around it on purpose, you know, which is kind of an interesting, like, play. Just just take the injury in and use it as part of the, as part of the story. Yeah. And there's also the situation of actor availability. And for someone like Brad Pitt, who may have three other shows lined up, you know, if they lost him for a week while his arm was getting better, you know, they may not be able to finish their project 
for six months after his next project's done. Yeah. And it's funny when you watch it as an, as an audience member, you don't even care. But like, you know, the people that were working on that stuff care. They had a lot of sleepless nights, right? Sure. But you don't think about it as an audience member at all. You just, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not too much different than writing in a pregnancy on a TV show or a movie. Yeah, true. You know, these, these, these things happen. And, uh, you know, in the case of Brad Pitt injuring himself, that's insurable. But you can't really insure against someone getting pregnant. It's not necessarily an injury. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because I know actors, well, and, and actors sign contracts, right, that they won't do certain things. And that's obviously a whole different world mm-hmm. and not necessarily the, the realm of which you do your work. But Oh, no, we, 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 we require actors, actresses, and the director, anyone who's going to be insured as a cast member on a film, they have to undergo a, a physical. Oh, okay. And, and as part of that physical, they do warrant that they're not going to jump off buildings, go scuba diving, ride a motorcycle. Right. Um, you know, basically we want them in a bubble for the next six weeks. Yeah. What about, and then what about with catching COVID now? How has that evolved? You know, April, 2020, COVID became an exclusion on every new policy that was taken out for any new film. So, you know, we scrambled around to try to find a solution to cover COVID related losses, because no matter what, especially at the beginning, if films were able to restart, which they did in June, their chance of one of their main actors or actresses getting COVID were pretty high. And also, we still face the threat of new stay-at-home orders. I mean, we didn't have too, too many in BC, but we did see in Quebec and Toronto, they did impose additional new stay-at-home orders that would have triggered another civil authority had that coverage still been available at the time. Right, yeah. So in Canada, you know, they did come out with that telefilm Canadian Media Fund program, which was designed to basically put back in coverage for cast and civil authority in the event that they had a shutdown related to COVID. Mm -hmm. But in order to qualify for that, you had to be considered Canadian content which, you know, unfortunately, not all Canadian projects are. Minimal at best, right? Exactly. But we, we were able to come up with a few solutions. They were fairly pricey and, you know, they didn't work for, for every movie. But on the larger independents and the TV series, it was, um, you know, a real gift to be able to have some protection there if you did have another shutdown related to COVID. Do you, do you still lose sleep about COVID with insurance and claims? Or is it a new reality you've sort of adapted to now? You know, at this point, no one is really insuring against COVID. I think people have become pretty comfortable with the risk. Yeah. You know, a lot of productions build into their contingency fund to, you know, if they have to shut down for a day or two, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah. So I don't really live in the fear that I'm going to get a call that, you know, we have a brand new claim. But I I will say for the first six, eight months, dealing with the claims that were already submitted, it was one of the more stressful periods of my career, if not the most stressful period, because every every single one of those claims requires a true forensic accounting of the productions, having to prove what their additional costs are above and beyond the budget. It's not just a, oh, you shut down, each day was a hundred grand. Here's your money. Right. You have to prove your overages and how much that shutdown really cost you, in addition to what you had originally budgeted. Well, because even if you think about like launch date, right, and your promotional and your t- box office misses, and all of those future gains that you missed by being delayed, right? Yeah, that part's uninsurable. But oh, good to know. Yeah, no, we we only insure the actual production costs. We don't insure the promotion or delivery of the production. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure all the big production companies here in Vancouver know all of these things. Um, But I would love to know what your take is for people that are more, because like I said, I think PMs in Vancouver, you know, they, they know how it all works more or less. Sure. They're not really who you're speaking to here. But for someone who's like an indie filmmaker or doing a small project, like what are a couple things that you wish you could tell them that they could learn from this episode? Because I feel like that'll go a long way for, you know, the youngins. 
I would say probably the most important thing, and I try to hit this home with every filmmaker, is when you're going to film at a location, whether it's someone's home or a studio location, or you've rented, you know, a diner, have two or three people on your crew walk around with their cell phones and film every inch of that location. Capture every before version of that home or location before any of the rest of your cast or crew or any equipment enters into that location. The, the reason being is every homeowner is going to come back to their home after you're done using it for a film. They're going to see a little scratch on the kitchen counter. They're going to see a paint chip in the bedroom. They're going to see a little nick in the floor and they're going to blame the production. And the only tool you have to counter that is the, the before photos. Yeah, that's very good advice. Like a car rental. Same thing, right? Mm-hmm. When you come back, it's on you. So you better note it before. But it's, it's even more extreme when a homeowner comes back to their home and you know, maybe doesn't remember that you know, their kid may have made that hole behind the door. But all they see is, I don't remember it there. I want everything back the way it was, you know, 30 years ago when we bought the home. (laughs) This is my chance to get a renovation. Well, and I do think people think, you know, film has empty pockets or deep pockets, right? It's like, oh, I'll just complain and I'll get something. It's like, yeah, this isn't uh, the X-Files, okay? This is like some UBC students that came in and shot a short. Well, we had, I had a funny one maybe four or five years ago where a homeowner claimed that their floors were damaged by the production, which technically they were, but they were only, you know, maybe two or three panels of the wood floors that were damaged. So, you know, they're having this meeting with the homeowners, the claims adjuster who works for the insurance company and the contractor who was going to be repairing or replacing the floors. And, you know, they brought it to the attention of the claims adjuster that the particular floors that were being used in this home are no longer made. And, you know, during the course of this conversation, they more or less have proven to the claims adjuster that in order to make this homeowner whole, they're going to have to replace the entire bottom floor of this home with all new floors. Not, not that unusual. I mean, especially in an older home, you know, you're not going to be able to find that particular floor anymore, especially if they're real wood. But during this discussion, all of a sudden, the son of the homeowners come in, and he's maybe 18 or 19 years old, probably not realizing his parents were trying to get all new floors, comes into the room with an entire box of the flooring and says, hey, guys, guess what? I I found all the extra flooring from when the floors were done. No! So all of a sudden, what was going to be a $30,000 claim and the homeowners were going to get all new floors, they were probably going to get to pick out the color they actually wanted or whatever it would be, turned out to be about $300 in labor (laughs) and wasn't even an insurance claim at the end. Yeah. So, um, Oh my gosh. I feel like they just took uh, took away his birthday on that one. But you know what? Come on, people. Is this the kind of example you want to set for your children? I'm glad you did it. Yeah. I, I hear you. It was, but I, I think the, the kid didn't realize, you know, he just heard the conversation like, oh, I think I know where there's floor. Or maybe he did, Mike. We'll never know. I don't know. Those 19 year olds are mischievous. I like to think maybe he did. Well, those are, that's a good, that's good advice, right? Because I think like insurance can be daunting and it's this big, scary corporate name and word. And you're like, oh, I don't know. And what do I pay? And it's going to cost so much money. And if I want to insure this little thing I'm doing, it's going to be thousands of dollars. But I realize even on your site that it's not, that's just not the case. It can be quite efficient and quite reasonable and so much peace of mind, right? Oh, absolutely. And you know, the, the fact is most people don't buy insurance until they have to have it, until someone tells them you can't, shoot here unless you have location insurance and you can't take out this camera unless you have property insurance. Um, So that's really the first introduction. And that's why, again, we've made it so easy. And, you know, most film packages come with a minimum million dollar limit for equipment, but, you know, a a UBC student who's renting a $20,000 camera doesn't need a million dollars of equipment. He needs $20,000. So we've made a real a la carte you know, option for them to just buy what they need for the number of days they need it. And that's all they're charged for. 
Yeah, so kids do it. Do it. Get the insurance. Don't cut corners, right? Absolutely. It's just not worth it. No, and gears come way down as well, too. I know back in the day, right, camera packages were way more than a lot of them are now. We've come a long way with technology. We have, although there's still a a chip shortage and inventory shortage out there as a result of COVID. But hopefully that's going to fix itself, you know, over the next six, eight months and everyone's inventories will be replenished. Yeah, that's certainly been an issue over the last couple of years here. Yeah, supply chain everywhere, right? Yeah. And so what are your thoughts just sort of as we kind of wrap things up, you know, where do you have any thoughts on the future of the industry, like your opinion about film insurance in general? Or I'm just curious what you think, you know, looking back on, on your career to date and your time in Vancouver. I mean, I my hope is that the Vancouver film industry continues to flourish. I think it's a great place to film. I think, you know, once someone's had the opportunity to film up here, they want to come back and do it again. You know, I, I think it's probably an overlooked part of the overall you know, tax dollars that it brings in. And I have my own thoughts on that. But when you're, when you're bringing up 30 people from the States for four weeks to live in a hotel, you know, they're eating out every single one of their meals. They're going to shop at the stores. They're going to buy clothes. They're going to do all these things that are going to spur, you know, the small businesses within Vancouver. And I don't think the governments look at the tax benefit of that. I think they just look at what the production is spending and the production budget. Mm-hmm. And they're not taking into account all of the extra outside money that's being spent here during that three or four week shoot. Yeah. And at a 30% savings, because are some of the, the cast members must be paid in American, right? Through like their own country. Oh, always. They could just spend the difference and they'd still, we'd still be ahead if they only spent the difference on the exchange rate. Absolutely. But yeah, most, most of the U.S. productions coming to Vancouver, all of their budgets are in U.S. dollars. Right. Yeah, which is, a, which is huge. It is. It goes a long way up here, as, especially right now. When I, when I first moved up here, actually, the dollar was on par. Oh, man, those days. Which may explain why I feel like the industry doubles every three years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope, you know, it, it doubles again. I, I do know that there's a lot of studio space being built. And, you know, that's going to entice more and more production to be done up here. You know, I think the Netflix and Amazons of the world have really found a home up here. So hopefully they, they continue to move more and more production. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still excited about it. That's awesome. Well, you and you'll you'll have to buy, you know, you'll have to buy your gifts up here for the holidays, not down there, right? You have to ship them out because otherwise, you know, you're making the little pennies up here in Canadian dollars, are you not? I, I get a little of both because I'm still stra- straddling the border, but uh, oh, that's smart. But but ultimately, I, I live up here, so this is where the money gets spent. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you, and thank you for really giving such a great summary. I mean, again, it can come off as such a dry topic, but I feel like I gleaned a lot out of this one, so I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, no, you you can't make a film without it, so I'm glad to be a part of the industry. Well, how can we end any other way after after you're saying that? That's pretty much it. I mean, that's going to be the slogan for this (laughs) episode. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I always appreciate reviews as well, which you can do on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Subscribe, like, or share it with someone you think might be interested in the Vancouver film industry. Or if you work in film, maybe send it to your partner so they know why you're never home.